when you listen to the show, if we are wrong or we don't know what we're talking about, that is perfectly fine. And you can correct us anywhere you want on Twitter, on Instagram, or on Facebook. You can find us at Not A Historian Podcast or at Not Historians. That's fine because we just jump on the internet, go to the library, talk to people, watch some interviews, and do the basic research we can just to show that two average Joes can do it. Exactly. We're not historians. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, maybe he walked around with jelly beans. That's what it is. Maybe he walked around with jelly I think beans so. I think he, and he was at the crime scene and stuff and be like, nah, see, nah, I got these jelly beans, see, nah. We're just two dudes that came up with an idea and we said we should know more about the everyday world around us, like why are beer bottles the shape they are. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression. Get ready to take notes, boys and girls. It's another edition of the Not Historians Podcast, with your hosts, Desmond Dunn and Shalom Agulavin. All right, it's Shalom and Desmond, and we're back for another iteration of... I love saying that, though. I know, so much fun. I know you do. I know you do. Of the Not Historians podcast. Today, we're, we're returning to the gangster land. Yeah. And, you know, no, not Pitbull land, the gangster land. Pitbull land? Yeah. This is my dog. <laughs> this is what's happening. <laughs> we're covering John Dillinger today. You may also know him as Public Enemy Number 1, or Johnny if you were close, or Sweethearts. Or you might know him by his nickname, Jackrabbit. So, he, you said Jackrabbit. Right, Jackrabbit. And Johnny Jackrabbit? I mean, maybe not Johnny. Well, I mean, you can call him Johnny Jackrabbit. Jack Rabbit Slim? You can call him whatever you want to call him. I'm going to just stick with calling him Public Enemy Number One. Public Enemy Number One. Right. Because I, I like the guy. I think the guy was really a skilled tactician. Like I said, he, he, was, a, he was a skilled tactician and knew his way around robbing banks. And as it turns out, also escaping from prison. So, wait a minute. He's just like the full package, you say Indeed, yeah. like he he just he had like the the prison break tattoos, but in his mind for the for like banks when he saw. So like this guy was so meticulous with his planning, which is crazy to me. He would go in, and and I'm sure we'll cover this a little bit later in the story. But he he'll cover he'll go into a bank right, and say they're they're from a alarm company. Like they would have these elaborate stories. Say like they're shooting a movie, they're shooting a movie, and they want to get the real. Uh, they, here's a permit. They'll so hand them a fake permit. These folks have never seen a real permit before, I guess. And they walk in and walk out with money. I mean, they're just robbing several banks. We're, we're filming a bank robbery. Can we rob your bank? <laughs> right, right. And they're like, sure, sure, sure. sure. And he's like, all right. And they'll be like, they'll be back. <laughs> but, but the thing that got me the most was the alarm company. Like, they would walk into a bank, say they were from an alarm company. And, I mean, it seems legit. Like, oh, well, hell yeah, we want you to come in here and work work on our alarm system and make sure everything is running right. And then they would just rob them. And it's like, why would you so not? So, would, would, would they, like, Italian job it where they would come in and be like, we're the alarm company and then we need to see your fault. And they were like, sure. And they were like, all right, we need to move this money out of the way. And then take the money or they just use it to get, like, in the restricted access area and then be like, stick them up. So, I feel like it would have been cooler if they did the Italian job type stuff. But no. Uh, back in this time, they were using this as a, as a ruse to get inside. Oh, and so like they could get like before before business hours or after business hours type of thing. I don't know. I'm asking you. No, before business hours. After no, no, no. I'm just saying that's but that's what they did was like to gain access to the bank when no one was around, or right. rather to gain access to like a secured area of the bank. To a secured area of the bank, okay. and then in some cases they couldn't get to the secured area, so they ended up being a ah, we're here, and this is what's happened. We want your money. Reminds me of the uh, opening 
of the Dark Knight. Although they didn't yeah. like fake it, but you know, just planned out so well. It's like, all right, but when we get to where we are, we do it. So John Dillinger would have drove off with a school bus until a line of school bus. You say he had that kind of yeah, absolutely. Was, right. Again, was a meticulous tactician. So, so he was the olden day Joker. Then we call him that. I mean, I guess that's can, my nickname. I guess we can we can we can compare the two. I, Old I timey Joker man, go for it. Yeah, and you know he he like. Not like any of our, not unlike any of our other gangsters that we've covered this, this season. He also had a life of early crime. Like he started off criming, developing so, 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 criming so, early. So he is one in the long line of gangsters that we see. They're either born into crime families or discovered at a very early age. They have a knack for it. Indeed. And he certainly had a knack for criming. Okay. Uh, he started out with petty crime, pulling pranks on his neighbors in Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. Which I all right. I don't understand why you would pull pranks on. So like the vandalism, like you would TP their house and be like, ah, ah, ah. I mean, yeah. There was some of that. There was also some uh, moving, like uh, like taking stuff out of people's yard. Walk on your like take your bike. Walk uh-huh. up, take your bike, and be good. Sell your bike for parts. Okay, that's robbery. That's and not vandalism. No, no, that's that's still vandalism. Because no, that's <laughs> robbery. It's a damn bike. Are you serious? You can steal someone's bike. And if you still and it's robbery, it's theft. No, it's theft. I agree. It's theft. But again, petty crime. Okay. And pranks on his neighbors. So, an interesting thing I noticed was that the man dropped out of school at age 16 because he wanted to focus on making money. So, in 1912, that's what he did. He went out and made money. He he found out that he was good with his hands, and he worked at a local machine shop. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was a hand model. I I mean, he might have been a hand model. I'm just saying you said he was good with his hands. I wasn't there. All right. Well, I'm not judging the man. Well, the, the court already did that. Yeah, so, yeah, a few times actually. So, John's story is a little tragic. His mom and dad were married. They have an old. He has a sister who's older than him, significantly older than he is. She was big and like the Catholic. Thirty-seven. Girl. She was thirty-seven when he was born. So, well, I don't know about that, but but she's significantly older than him. All right, and um, she she was into into the church. And uh, his mom died when he was three, so it was just John, his sister, and his and his and his dad. Um, his sister moved out when she got married. I mean, I guess that's what people, women do when they get married; they move out of their house. Hopefully, sure. I mean, I guess I. I mean, it would be kind of awkward if they didn't, but I'm sure there's people that don't. I mean, I mean yeah. saving money for that down payment. Oh, well, I mean, I get that. I get that. Just don't get married first. I mean, sometimes you don't have options. I guess I, I understand that. So anyway. In 1920, John's dad wanted to change his son's environment because he noticed that his he noticed that John was actually getting involved in more or less the uh, criming, the criminal underbelly of the city. Indeed, and so what he did was he sold the grocery store that he owned and retired to Mooresville, Indiana, uh, to a farm in Mooresville, Indiana. Yeah, it seems like that's pretty far from crime. I I mean, it's yeah. a farm in a place named Mooresville. Well, see, but here's the catch, though. Johnny was still working. Like he wanted, he was still trying to do the machine shop work and do another type of work uh, late at night. And his late night activity, or rather work, as we're going to call it, is called Grand Theft Auto. Oh yeah, it's because they have a work for that. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have to make one up. Uh, <laughs> GTA true. is a thing. Yeah, GTA is definitely a thing. And he was confronted by a couple of policemen one night, right? As one does when one is, when one is climbing <laughs> and stealing cars. Yeah. And they didn't, they didn't fall for his, his dish of BS that he was trying to feed him. 
What, what, what do you know what the story was? They didn't buy. Uh, you know, he no, I, I couldn't <laughs> find any any actual representation of what he he was saying to him. Is this your Cadillac? Yes, it is. You're 16. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. That's right. I won it in a raffle. Yeah. But no, see, this is in 1923. So, I mean, you know, it, it's it's interesting that he has this type of, of skill. Okay, like, so he's in his 20s already. Yeah, he's yeah, in his okay. 20s. But it, it's, it's interesting that he has the type of skill to be able to take, to go pick up a car and drive around it. And he didn't think yeah, that it was going to be... real skill. We call that driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, I mean, the point I'm making is with him... I figured, like, all the time that he's spent developing his, his his machine shop skills, his living on the farm, would keep him from doing things like stealing cars. But apparently not. And he's probably done more money. In stealing cars? Yeah. Yeah, that's probably right. And he was about making money. But true to the Jackrabbit name, when the cops went to place him under arrest because they didn't fall for his bullshit, they just didn't. He he ran away from the cops. He was able to get away from them. I mean, like, what kind of day and age is it that you can run away from cops? I mean, have you watched the program called Cops? It's it's pretty much just people trying to run away from the cops. I know, but none of those folks ever seem to succeed. Well, I mean, but that's the ones that don't make the cutting room floor. I mean, it's like, well, the only, only put the ones where we're successful guys. I mean, there's tons of, like... People to just run from the cops. Maybe that's just me, but I would never run from the cops because I would be afraid that I wasn't going to get away. Actually, I'd be afraid I was going to get shot, but I also don't think I was going to get away. So I think the two are, are, are the same in that regard. So anyway, he know he runs away from the cops and he knows he can't go back home. Well, so what? Yeah, is, you know, if the, the cops may not know who he is, right? But they're going to find him in this city. They're like, run, tell that homeboy. Anyway. <laughs> The, so he does the only logical thing that a criminal can do in this situation. He joins the Navy. That seems rather bold. <laughs> That's what I said. They can't find me if I'm on the seas. Right. Yeah, or matey. I think he wanted to be a pirate or something. But he made it through basic training. All right. And the rest of his military career lasted about as long as it takes me to play an average game of Risk. So, so two years. Ha, <laughs> Five months. Okay. The man just abandoned ship. Wait a minute, did he just like jump off the boat and was like, well, I'm done, start swimming? Yeah, he jumped the hell off the boat, man. I'm not even making this up. Wait a minute, he jumped out of the boat. He jumped the hell off the boat. Like, (laughs) so the boat. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just imagined, like, uh, have you ever seen, like, uh, Mikhail's Navy? Yeah, I have. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's the kind of of ship he was on where they were like, you don't work today, John, you're kind of looking lazy. You know what? They used to call me the jackrabbit. <laughs> He's like, you can't run here, John. But you can call me the porpoise. <laughs> He's just like <laughs> in the water, just going. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst, dude. Are you serious? Oh, I'm just man. wondering, like, how far? Do you know how far? Were they just in, like, the bay? So were they at anchor? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, to be fair, they, they were at anchor when he escaped. So, but so, still pretty bold. Like, it seems like you could have waited for them to go to, like, shore leave and been like, I got to run to the, the machinist shop. On oh, to get parts for our machinist shop on the ship, yeah, and just not come not back. Come back. Well, and and you know he he jumped off the ship, and the ship was in Boston, in the Boston area at the time. Okay, and he was on the USS uh, Ohio, I do believe Ohio, and it's the same one that was actually bombed in Pearl Harbor. Oh, so, so I mean, you know, maybe, uh, maybe. Well, if he had been on that thing another twenty years, Jesus, I know, right? Well, foreshadowing. At least he avoided that. Yeah, cheers to you. So, 
after he, you know, after he abandoned ships, a few few months later, he's actually dishonorably discharged from the Navy in 1924. And then he returns to Mooresville. Now, this is the part of the story where John tries to go legit and leave all the criming behind him. He gets married to Beryl Ethel Hovius. And she's, yeah, that's yeah. definitely not a stripper name. I mean, it's, well, <laughs> certainly not. And she's about 16 when they get married, which is another weird fact. Yeah, I feel like it's not for then. Like, not there's for a them, lot maybe of, not. For me, there's yeah. a lot of that going on back then. Yeah, but it's still weird. It's weird to us. But I'm saying, I think in the context, I've, I've ran across more than one or two stories yeah. doing this research where they're, they're in their 20s or yeah. early 30s. It's like, met this 16-year-old girl. Oh, but see, never in my 20s did I ever see a 16-year-old girl and think, I have to have that. No. Never once. You always, you know you know what you always like uh, side sidebar here. Let's have a discussion yeah. really quickly about this because I made this observation to somebody the other day. Let's do it. Well, when you're like I don't know eighteen twenty, you see the old dude like in his in his forties fifties with like the hot wife that's like yeah. twenty thirty, and you're like, damn, dude has got going on. All right. And now that I'm in my thirties, like mm-hmm. anyone younger than twenty five, I'm like, oh no, get away from me. <laughs> You're a child. Right, exactly. It's like, no, I don't think. You just look at him and life. you just see him like as a child. And you're like, no. Well, right, because they, they haven't they haven't lived yet, you know? Well, I mean, I don't know what it is. It's just like, I always thought that it was weird. But like when I was younger, I was like, dude's got it figured out. Yeah. And now that I'm, now that I'm getting closer to that age, I'm like, like nope. no, dude did not have it figured <laughs> out. He was going through some things. He was going through some things. <laughs> And she she likes money. That's all that I is. Mean, you know, a man has got it figured out. He's got a career. He's got a house. He's he's got cars. So I'm not quick. I'm not. I'm not quick to say that. I don't think Beryl was in, in on that. But I, I mean, probably not. But I'm not quick to say that any any type of relationship like that, where they have that difference in age, is well, is just for the money. No, no. But I, I do I do think that there is an interesting. There's uh, definitely a trend. Let me put that. Uh, well, yeah, there's definitely a trend. Uh, but it's an interesting discussion point to see, if, you know, the contrast of the 25-year-old mental state to the 30 or 40 mental state. Oh, you, hell, you, dude. My mental state at 31 compared to my mental state at 28 was is so different. Than well, exactly. Like, uh, I'd like to credit myself with being a little more uh, humble and having some humility. Now or then? Now. Oh, yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. No, like, I think every year... I, I, I try to drop it by 10%. Because I'm just like, dang. Hmm. Thought you had the whole world on a string. And you know what? Uh, there's a saying, and people should take this hard, especially if they're any younger listeners. Yeah. Potential. Potential is great, but you can't coast on potential. It's true. Man, it's, true. it's just the fact of it. Like, potential just means it's easier for you to get a head start on working hard. Mm-hmm. That's all it means. It doesn't mean you don't ever have to work hard. Yeah. Because I have so many friends that they're like, well, whatever you're going to do. And I'm like, Honestly, uh, for a while, I coasted and mm-hmm. caught up with me. That's, sure that's what happens. You're right. That's what happens in life. I mean, anything you do. Yeah. So, don't take anything for granted. You got to work hard for everything, no matter what. Even if you think it's being handed to you. Also, I want to add to this. Criming, while it does pay, it doesn't pay. Well, it's one of those things. Uh, it pays as long as you're willing to. It's gambling. This sure. is the way I put it. When my friends ask me about it, I'm like, oh, it's gambling. Because the big risk is this. Yes, I have to go out and earn my money. 
Right. But I'm not riding that next bet either, hoping that the cops don't knock on my door, pull me That's over. True. Because the thing is, they're like, well, you know, so and so got all this and that. You know, he does some, yeah. Um, let's say less than legal things. Indeed. And uh, while it's very stuff. nice, he er- he earns a li- about ten percent more than me. Yeah. Yes, it's tax free. I get that. So he makes significantly more than me because of that. However, when I get pulled over by the cops, I also don't have to run. And so no one can point. just come take it away from me. And I don't have to worry about the IRS over my shoulder or anyone yeah. else. Very valid So point. it's very much worth it. Just, I'd rather have two jobs than to do anything illegal. Gotcha. Uh, you know, I, I feel like... Would John Dillinger have worked two jobs rather than do something illegal? I think nah, not. probably not. Is it the easy life you think that attracts these guys? Let me ask you that. Um, I think there is a lot of that that attracts them, but I think it's some, for some of them, it's the need to solve a problem. The problem is there's there's either no work that they can do. Right. No, th- I know that that's definitely an issue. But the other thing, I guess, is a lot of them are um, kind of excitement seekers. Yeah. and Like adrenaline junkies, we would call them nowadays. But Sure, I've seen some of that. In but they, Well, I mean, like people that spray guns and want to rob eight banks in a day. And yeah. Escape from prison and do all this, not out of necessity, but more just because they can. Mm-hmm. Which, in that in that regard, I think that it's 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 disappointing because they could be using their talent for better, but they're not. And so I, I, that's that's a disappointment. Well, I mean, I just wonder with, with with John Dillinger, like specifically, do you think that he was doing it because he was forced? I don't think so because we've seen guys that were forced. That like their 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 whole uh, yeah. You know, who do we talk about that was like that? Was it Pretty Boy Floyd? Floyd was like that. Floyd was very much a victim of circumstances and bad decisions. Right. Like, he didn't get any kind of help along the way. And yeah. I think, yes, I do think he was forced into it, he being John Dillinger. But I think that Dillinger was forced into it by the system. And and I'll kind of explain that a little bit okay. in, in a moment. Because right now, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that way. And, and because I, I think he could have worked in that machine shop or farm. Yeah. However... Again, I think the system did it to him. And, okay. And I'll kind of explain. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So, uh, he's married. Yeah, he's married. To a 16-year-old. To a 16-year-old girl. And how old is he at this time? You know, he's about 20, oh, I think he's about 22. They are newlyweds, so they have to bounce back back and forth between between his dad's farm and staying with her parents. Because so, he didn't have a job. No job at all. No job. Not even crying. No, not. No. I, like I said, this was the point in time where oh, he was he, trying So, to he's like, I'm going to get settled down and maybe this woman right. will keep me. Again, they're bouncing back and forth between his parents and her, or excuse me, his dad's farm and her parents. And he didn't have a job. But this, he's still trying to be really legit. But he finally gets a job in an upholstery shop. You know, we talked about earlier how he's good with his hands. All right, yeah. So this also comes into play later on in the story, too. He, he also played shortstop for the Martinsville, Indiana baseball team. Where he met a guy named Edgar Singleton. Wait a minute, what kind of baseball team is this? Is this like community league team, or is this like a a pro team at the time, or is this what is this an amateur league or so stormers or what are they doing? Right, good question. It's it's more like an amateur team. Okay, you know, it's he's not going to go majors from this team. No, no, I got you. He's playing for the Dillers. Right, All exactly. Right. Which is a team that probably hasn't played here in <laughs> fifteen years, but but, it's, but you know what I'm talking about. I do indeed. And, and so that's what he's doing. He meets he meets up with this guy named uh, Edgar Singleton. Now I don't know what position Edgar was playing on the team, but for some reason Ed came up with this scheme 
that he thought would make the duo a lot of quick, uh, a lot of quick cash. Okay. And so I mean, yeah, you know, so naturally, John, so they were going to open a bakery. Yes, and they're going to sell French pastries. Makes sense. No, that would have been more um, official or official than what they actually did, more legit. But no, what they decided to do is Ed concocted this scheme where he knew a local elderly grocery owner was walking with the uh, receipts. Back in the day, I think this is how the money happened and at grocery stores. They went to the bank with receipts. Um, oh, to collect it from the people. So the people right. would sign their stuff up and say, this is what I owe. Take it out of my account. And exactly. The guy would just walk and be like, here you go. Right. So, John, the plan was that John was going to rob this guy coming out of his store, and Ed was going to be a getaway driver up the street. So, John gets a like a, a towel, gets this big machine screw, wraps it up, and waits for this guy to come out, out of the shop. Bings him on the back of the head, run, like grabs his bag, his receipt bag, runs down the street, and guess what? Ed's not fucking there. He was drunk. I mean, shocker. He just isn't there. He, he might have been drunk. And you know what John gets? Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess arrested. <laughs> arrested and a one-way ticket to the pokey. Man, what the what the hell? I mean, that, that's pretty good. I, I mean, he jack-whapped dude on the back of the head. Yeah. Oh. Lands off, runs off with the receipt bag. Getaway car's not there. And he's like, well, fuck. So what did he do? Just stop then? Uh, you know, honestly, I, there's no accounts of what he did. Oh, okay. I was Other just wondering. get arrested. Like... Okay, because that's what I'm wondering. Did yeah. he just like run into a cop, like fall down and be like, oh. Well, no, I think what happened is that there were, because you know, there were beat cops at this point in time. Right, right. And I, and I think there was a beat cop out. You know, and the beat cop that saw it and was like, hey, you stop there, sir. And I, I guess that's what all cops sounded like at that time. You know what? I, I hope, I, I wonder if he had like a sap. You know what I'm saying? Is that that Billy Club thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. A, little, a little filled with like leather, uh, leather filled with lead. Yeah. You know, whack, knock people on the head. Man. So it's funny because like he used one of the like, choo, hit yeah. the dude with <laughs> a sock with batteries in it, prison style. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, ah, I got away. And then all of a sudden someone's like, pink, hits him on the back of the head. That would be hilarious. He's like, oh, that really does work well. <laughs> yeah. Falls on the ground. The irony of it all, right? So Ed gets caught too. How the hell do you get caught for a crime you didn't do? I, I, well, see, I think it was because he was involved and he was in the area. And Right, but I'm just wondering, like, if I sit here and like, oh, okay, this is how I would rob a bank and I tell you it. Yeah. And, I, and then I don't rob the bank, but you do. Do they come back and get me, too, because you went and took my plan and did it? So I think there's some, okay, so, so just kind of a technicality here. I think there's some, a law out there that says something like that. It's also the reason why that it prevents... Well, like I know there's like shows from telling you exactly how to build a bomb. Like conspiracy, yeah. and well, that's liability. But I'm talking about conspiracy to commit a crime is the planning to undertake the actual crime. If I write a book that says it's how I rob a bank, and then somebody robs a bank, or somebody, you know, takes a murder from a book, it's not like you arrest Stephen King and be like, "I got you." Well, no, but I think that if, on the same on the same point, if if I write down how to rob a bank and you use my methodology that I've written to rob a bank. Then I'm liable for that. Well, you can sue me. I'm not liable for the robbery. Yeah, I think you are. No. Like I, I think is well, I think you are. I think because like I just said, you can't write a book and then somebody go act it out and then be like, "Well, you you told me to do it." It's like, no, I didn't tell you to do shit. Yeah, I wrote about a bank robbery and then you like there are bank robbery movies like Take yeah. Heat, right, or The Italian Job. If somebody goes and does that, like Donald Sutherland is not going. To, to jail. All right. Because point. somebody did it. And Robert De Niro does not get locked up because somebody robbed a bank with a machine gun. Yeah. 
So that's my that's my question. But I think there are certain warning or waivers that go involved in those movies and whatnot to keep it keep them from being responsible. But I don't know. I think it's worth interesting or additional discussion. Yeah, no, no. I'm just, I'm just, I'm this. I'm very curious how Ed, who didn't show up to the crime, like I guess it was because he was actually going to commit the crime, right? And had like agreed and was supposed to have been there. That's the difference in you and me talking about it right now, and me going, but that's crazy, right? Don't do it, and then you going and doing it, and him being like, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow at three p.m. and then just not showing up. Yeah, good point. I'm just wondering. So, when we mentioned earlier about how, or when you asked the question, do I feel like John didn't have any options or whatnot? Do I feel like John did this to himself? Do I feel like he had to do this? Yeah, I, I meant my response to you was, I feel like the system did this to him. All right. The this system the- of John getting caught for Grand Theft Auto and running away and then jumping off a Navy boat and then getting caught robbing, robbing an elderly storekeeper. Damn that system. I mean, right. <laughs> A fair point, but hear me out. So, John, this is his first major offense, right? This is his first major offense. Well, it's the first one he, I guess he's caught for. Right. First major offense that he's been caught for. And Ed, again, I told you, Ed gets caught as well, but due to being able to afford or have legal representation, gets a much lighter sentence than John. John, as the story goes, John's, the, uh, the prosecutor went and talked to, and convinced John's dad to convince John to plead guilty for a lesser charge. Okay. Since it was his first offense. Got it. Took a plea deal. Yeah. I mean, it it makes sense. So John talks to his dad. His dad convinces him to do it. He, and when he's in the courtroom, he pleads guilty. And the only people in the courtroom that prosecutor isn't there who offered the deal. Nobody's there. It's just John and the judge type of situation. Now, of course, you got the, yeah, I got you. But, what ends up happening is uh, John ends up getting, what is it? Uh, John ends up getting 10 to 20 years and Ed only gets two to 14 years. And what makes it even worse about, I mean, you're, you're saying you're sitting here listening. You can't see Desmond, but what you're doing is, uh, okay, that's not that bad. That face you date, you make when you say that. I mean, here's the thing. John actually committed the crime. It, but it wasn't John's idea. It wasn't John, I mean, I, you're looking at me like, like with skepticism. I get it. But it wasn't John's idea. So, so here's where I'm going with this. All I'm going to say is most directors years. directors don't write their own movies, but they get credit for them because they actually take them and make them a thing, right? So, see, Ed was like, yeah, we could whack the guy in the back of the head. And John was like, like this, and then actually hits the guy. Ed's thought did not whack that man on the back of the head and take his money. So the idea, again, is not the crime. So I'm getting there. 10 to 20 years is what they gave John. Ed gets 2 to 14 years. And serves less than two. Again, he didn't actually commit the crime. Uh, he also probably didn't plead guilty. Probably right, but I think that... So at this point, when you go, I actually committed the crime, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, pled without an actual plea agreement, damn that system! <laughs> Again, John has done all of this to himself. I, well, and I'm not disputing that, but so I'm saying I'm, not, is- I'm just I'm, I'm focusing on what your answer was. I'm not picking on you. I just no, want to no, see... please do. But the, also the thing of like, is there really an imbalance there? I feel like there is a bit of an imbalance. For a dude that was asleep dreaming of ham sandwiches and a dude that knocked an old man over the head and stole his money and then tried to run from the cops. Like, oh, geez, which one did a worse crime? I mean, I, I get that. But when you, put it in, when you put it in that context, yeah, sure. But what we're talking about here is a system that is flawed. This is the man's first offense. That's a pretty big offense. And it's, 
he hit he also him. deserted. So so which, the the navy. That's not what this crime is. Right? I understand, but I'm saying they look at your record. So saying his first major offense. When he deserted the Navy, that's not a good mark of character. That's why a dishonorable discharge is not something you want to have on your record. Well, I mean, he, he figured out that the Navy wasn't for him. Military life, the, the regiment there wasn't for him. Right. So but he, there, he it's not a I mean, but here's it's not a checkout like by 11 kind of situation. Right. But And, and I agree with you. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, in the context of the situation, he quit a job that wasn't for him. No, in the context of the job, he was derelict of duty because he he made it. He swore an oath. Okay, yeah. So that what does that tell you about his character when he's in court swearing another oath? That's why it's not a thing you do and then expect to be a good character because it means you are not a man of your word. I mean, I could definitely see that, but so it's just a bad. What I'm saying is like, yes, it's his first offense, but was it Ed's first offense? Don't know. We don't so know. maybe it was. Was Ed also an altar boy? Don't know. Probably not. Was John Dillinger known to the police at this time? Probably. Did he Did he have a dishonorable discharge? Yes. So I'm just saying, like, they're, they're, while it, it's disproportionate in numbers, I think it's fair in judgment. Uh, yeah, the numbers definitely don't sway me here. Um, I, I'm not I'm not on board with that. I don't, you don't have my buy-in as far as the numbers. But... Him getting some time, sure, I agree with that. But you know, at any rate, at any rate, this is part of the reason why Dillinger was pissed off at the system because he got caught for a crime he committed. No, because the, the sentencing was unjust. It almost seems like if he had had better legal representation, well, of course, that's always fine. the case. If you have better, le- you have the best legal representation, you'll get out. If but if he had any legal representation at all, you uh, see? Uh, again, damn that system that John didn't. I'm saying legal representation. Had he had, well, uh, fair point. But I'm just saying that that he might have gotten a more fair judgment or fair sentence based on I think it's in legal representation. Pretty pretty fair. We can agree to disagree on that. That's fine. I'm just saying. So what happens? He gets caught. He's pissed at the system. He got caught. I feel like I'm John Dillinger right now going through this process. (laughs) That's fine. I'm like, damn it. I'm, I've been convicted. It's unfair that I'm getting questioned. (laughs) No. And I'm going to have to do 20 years, man. What the hell? So, 20 years of not historian sentence. <laughs> so, anyway, having been, he hadn't been convicted of any other crime at that point in time. The sentence was harsh. In 1933, he was paroled from prison after serving eight and a half years of his sentence. So, so wait a minute. In, in that regard, I want to point out that the man got two to 14, served almost two. That's almost the, the, the total bottom number he was given. John got out percentage-wise earlier than he did of his sentence. Unfairly treated yet again uh, was Mr. Dillinger. Right. The sentencing was where we were where we were in disagreement, in my opinion. So during the eight-year sentence, his wife divorced him. Yeah, yeah. That, that'll happen. I mean, yeah, but you've got a, all that stuff coupling with his already feeling like he's being beaten by the system. You know, he it adds to the psyche. It adds to his... his I get it. I get what yeah. you're saying about how he feels. Right. I'm just, I feel like, trying to point out that there's a counterpoint because it's very easy in some of these instances to feel for the criminal. Sure. John Dillinger is not one of those for me because he's really one of those guys that's like cut off his nose despite his face. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's like, oh, my wife left me because you locked me away for so long. It's like, but you committed a crime. God damn you and your sentence. <laughs> like, that was the problem was that he should have got off lighter for what he did wrong. And it's I like, agree. Mm, do you understand how criminal justice works? He's like, no. 
I don't understand that first part. What's criminal? The second part, justice. Don't know that one. Say it again. Criminal? Uh huh. Justice? Nope. Nope. <laughs> Good point. By the way, I think we should do. We should cover. Cut off your nose to spite your face. <laughs> Maybe. The phrase? Maybe we should do that. Maybe. I hope it. I hope it doesn't have to do with like leprosy or something. <laughs> Legionnaire's disease. Uh, probably uh, not Legionnaire's disease, but well, it depends on what nose. So. Ah, yeah. So, we talked about how he gets paroled in 1933 after serving eight, eight and a half years of his sentence. So, he, he sits out all of uh, all of the bootlegging money. He get no bootlegging money because he's in jail. Yeah. That probably pissed him off, too. He I was mean, like, I could have been, been a contender. He, well, it could have been. But, and here's the next piece to this. In true crowning fashion, almost immediately, Dillinger robs a bank in Bluffington, Ohio. <laughs> Damn you, sister. <laughs> So, as luck would have it, you know, his freedom wouldn't last long because he was caught and arrested by Dayton, Ohio police, and was logged into the uh, Lima County Jail. Okay. So, while he was in jail in Indiana, John met Harry uh, Pierpoint, Russell Clark, Charles uh, Mackley, and Harry Copeland, and devised a plan to break them out of prison once he got out. So, see, out of, out of, out of all of this, they were all prison. They were all prisoners, obviously, that's where they met. But here's the interesting thing. I told you earlier how John was good with his hands, right? Right. So John was in the in the shop in prison making materials like shirts and things. He was doing the sewing work and whatnot. Okay. And a lot, there was a, a quota that each prisoner had to do. Well, sure. John was so fast, he was easily able to do double his quota. And so a lot of times he would make friends with folks by doing helping them keep up. Okay. So he would be done with his his quota and help out another part, prisoner meet their quota. So that's kind of how he built this friendship between the the four mentioned above or mentioned a moment ago. And kind of what they what they did was they devised a plan to get out, but they knew that their sentences were much longer than John's sentence and they knew John was going to be out before them. So they brought John into the fold and said, "Hey, this is what we want to do. We want to escape. We want to bring you in on it. How do we do it?" And so what John does is once he's free, from the Indiana jail, which also is the reason why he's in Ohio. He's, he's, John is one of the people who actually goes to police stations and robs police stations. So he's, he's trying to build an arsenal. So he gets this arsenal of weapons and hides them in a crate full of sewing material. So it goes into the prison as sewing material to do all the, all the. So I'm assuming it's not like a full armory in the crate because I'm no. like, okay, so you're talking about maybe like a couple pistols. No, I'm talking about a machine gun, a couple pistols. You know, Jesus Christ, like, uh, this is why we have metal detectors, right? Because I like the guys just like, just a bunch of denim and gingham. It's like, clink, clink, clink. What was that? Oh, it's some really heavy uh, burlap. Clink. That's <laughs> clinking. Yep. That's right. <laughs> just moving it in. Like, who the hell is the guard there? And like, they don't even bother to like, check it like a little bit. Like the guard, no. like you pick it up. That weighs almost as much as a machine gun. It's like, don't be so, you can't sew a machine gun. He's like, hey, good point. Good point. Right this Carry way. On. Right this way, sir. Yeah. So Harry, Russell, Charles, and, 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 uh, Harry Copeland, they all kind of, they all get together and they are able to escape prison. They decide to return the favor to Dillinger. So at this point in time, after they escape prison, Dillinger is in prison. Again, or rather in jail again in Ohio. What? How does he break them up while he's in jail? That's what I want to know. So let me be a little bit more clear. Because that's it might be not it might not be clear at this point. John, while he was in prison in Indiana, 
met these folks. Okay. So I'm now returning back. We're jumping back and forth in the story, so I'm building the stage okay. for you. He meets these guys, builds his relationship with them. They bring him into his plan about his breaking them out of prison. So okay. John helps while he to get them out of prison by smuggling these materials into the prison that that these four are still in. Right, but is he on the outside? He's on the outside at that time. This is before he gets into the Okay, into so Robert then Bank. he breaks them out. Yeah. When they get out, they, they go hide for a little bit, I'm guessing, or something. And he gets locked up in the meantime. Is that what you're telling me? Right. So Okay. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was confused about. Go ahead. Right. So that's exactly what happens. And they decide, you know what? We're going to return the favor. So what do they do? They get dialed up and drop by. With, uh, okay. Sorry, man. I'm, no, it's okay. That's I'm a bad just... Aladdin reference. I apologize. <laughs> so no, they, they come down there to see their boy John Dillinger. And what they well, do... they can't just come to visit the hours, I assume, since you know they just broke out of jail. You know, you're right. They can't come to visiting hours. But what the, what the group does is they show up at the Lima jail where Dillinger's incarcerated. And they told the sheriff that they had come to return Dillinger to the Indiana State Prison for violation of his parole. Wasn't well, this the prison they were in? Yes, that's, that's correct. So they came up and told the sheriff they were going to return him to another prison. Right. And the sheriff was like, you guys look awfully familiar. Well, and he's like, don't know what you're talking about. Strokes fake mustache. And he's like, you look like a guy I knew, but. Got a mustache. And he's like, and you, you always had those glasses? He's like, yes. All right, checks out. Checks out. Well, it gets weirder, but so the Lima jail is where Dillinger's at. It's not the same Indiana jail. But you said they were in the they they were in Lima jail earlier. No, no, no. The gang was in the Indiana jail with Dillinger at first. Okay. Dillinger's out before them, gets them the the material to break out of jail. Then Dillinger is in jail in Ohio. Okay, okay. The Lima jail. That okay. Okay. So then these folks, these four, this group, this crew, come down to the Lima jail, talk to the sheriff. Okay. And the sheriff asks to see their credentials. Makes sense, because that's what you uh, do, yeah, right? exactly. You can't just check people out of jail like a library book. Right, but the weird thing about this prison is, or this jail, is it's the sheriff, his wife, and one deputy. It's a small, small place. The hell are you thinking? It's a jail. Like, it's the old-timey jail where they got, like, three cells. This is in the Wild West. No, but there's small towns still have that. If you say so. It's like a holding tank. It's a very bad idea, and, and here's why. As he asks for the credentials, one of the guys says, yeah, I'll get you my credentials, pulls out a gun, and shoots the sheriff. That That is a jelly bean <laughs> plan, if I've ever heard. It's like, what are, what are we going to do if he has to see our ID? Why would he ask to see your ID? It's like, right. because we're going we're to tell him we're transporting his prisoner? I don't get it. It's like, yeah. but what if he does? Then we'll just shoot him. I mean, and that's what happened. They, not only did they shoot him, they beat him to unconsciousness. And then they took the keys to the jail. Yeah, and freed, they, I, mean, freed, I would love that they shot the sheriff when he asked, and then ran the and didn't take didn't take the keys. That yeah, would be hilarious. But yeah. they didn't shoot oh, the deputy no. though. Well, good for them and Eric Clapp. Oh man, they freed Dillinger and locked the sheriff's wife and the deputy in the cell and left the sheriff down on the floor. I mean, that, that to me was real paramount. Uh, they they were like, "Fuck you, sheriff. Bye." Well, I mean, obviously, I got that feeling when they shot him the first time. Yeah. <laughs> wasn't the leaving that really got me. It was when they shot him. Right. So now it's like, I don't think they like this guy. Yeah, he didn't make it. So the gang came together and they pulled off several bank robberies. Now, this is what, where it got intricate because they developed these elaborate bank robbing plans where, again, they would say they worked for an alarm company. They would say that they were in for with a film crew and they were scouting a location and they needed information from the inside to kind of see how, how things work. 
And they would get release forms and have release forms signed. So it's like you are going through the process. These are elaborate processes of these schemes. It's almost like some Lupin the Third stuff, man. I'm serious. They're putting plan into action, robbing banks. And this is how he builds his name. John Dillinger is, he, he gets to a point where he's public enemy number one by doing things like this, robbing banks successfully. Now he, I alluded to this earlier. He didn't also, or he didn't only focus on just robbing banks. He would also rob police arsenals. <laughs> I want to know. I, explain to me. How do you? How, did he just walk in and go stick him up at the police arsenal? Because it seems like that's a bad. That's like second to robbing like a gun. Yeah. yeah well, but he still made. They made out with it. I don't know. No. But that's what I'm saying. Like, how do you know how one of those? Could you? Could you detail like how one of those robberies would go down? Like. No, if he walked in, I wasn't there. Oh no, no, I'm just mean like I didn't know if any of the stories had like a, a timeline. Yeah, no. because my thing is this: did they walk in and be like, "What are you, a oh, gun inspector?" See, <laughs> see, that's a badge. Captain Crunch is on the back of it. Don't look at that. Don't look at that. <laughs> it was like that looks like cardboard. No, 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 it's no. real. Look at it. It's like it's gun inspector. Uh, your says federal booty inspector. Oh, sorry, wrong one, wrong one, wrong one. Here you go. This is the right one. And then they're like, we need to inspect all your guns. And they're like, all right, we'll bring them back around six, and then just don't don't bring them back. I mean, maybe <laughs> hell, I don't know. That wasn't really that wasn't really anything that was pointed out. But they they always managed to get them. They managed to parlay several machine guns, rifles, revolvers, a quantity, a heavy quantity of ammunition, and several bulletproof bulletproof vests. Now. In this time, the group made their way from Florida and then to Tucson, Arizona for more bank heists. And that's where things went wrong. Again. So how long are they on the run here? Is this like a year, a yeah, month? This, this is about a year at this point. Though, okay. Because he's out of 33. Um, this is, yeah, so about a year. On January 23rd, 1934, a fire broke out at a hotel where Clark and Mackley were, were hiding out under false names. Um, they were recognized and the local police arrested them, as well as Dillinger and Harry uh, Pearpoint, or excuse me, Pearpoint. They also seized Thompson submachine guns, two Winchester rifles mounted as machine guns on, on for cars, um, five bulletproof vests, and more than two hundred. Excuse me, twenty five thousand dollars in cash. Okay, well, you know, some guys travel light, some guys don't. Okay, no TI was not involved. Just want to go ahead and put that out there. Uh, I. I don't know why he would be, seeing I mean, how he probably wasn't born for another 10 years. But, yeah, easily 10 years. Yeah. Man's like seven. Well, you know, I mean, he, he you know, the arsenal that he had at his house, I mean, golly. Uh, well, you know, again, some men trouble light, some men don't. True point. It's not a thing. I've always, I've always had that fear myself. So, <laughs> like, one day, there's going to be a fire or something, they're going to break into my house and be like, yeah, he was a terrorist cell leader because... And all, all these guns and ammo, it's like, I buy things on sale, guys. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> so, so they moved Dillinger to uh, this Crown Point jail in Indiana to await a murder trial that he was elected. Wait a minute, murder? Yeah. That, so in in Chicago, in East Chicago, they... He was born and raised? No, he wasn't. No, so no he, he wasn't born and raised. In East right. Chicago, he was, he was allegedly convicted for, while they were doing a bank robbery, they allegedly had him as the... The gun. He was a shooter. Right. He, he shot, he he shot a man. He, he didn't who do was it. wearing a police I'm uniform. I'm trying to be careful when I say this because I don't. I, I don't know that he actually. No, shot no, no. Him. I'm saying that. that well, he. I, someone shot him. Someone. Well, yeah, they, 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 they said it was. They said okay. it was Dillinger. Okay. I, I personally don't know if I believe it, but 
So that's what they put him into the uh, Crown Point Jail in Indiana, waiting, you know, waiting that trial. Uh, because this prison, or this jail rather, was coined as escape proof. Was it Houdini certified? I mean, it certainly was. Okay. But so here, here's where we go next. This is where I'm talking about, I return to the fact that Dillinger was good with his hand. So Dillinger made a gun out of wood that he had just whittled away at. And we think he painted it black or whatnot. But my, okay, never mind. And he had he had a whittling instrument is my point. It's like, why, if I'm doing fake gun, real knife. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I don't think he wanted to kill anybody at this point. Well, no, but, but like, if someone decided to wrestle him for it, he's got a block of wood or an actual stabby stabby. So, uh... <laughs> Alright, good point. What's he gonna do? Just make the noises. Bang, 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 bang. And they're like, oh no, run. Probably did. Old timey pop guns. Like Pop Gun Kelly had, right? Right. Oh man. So anyway, he walks up to the guards and forces them to open the door to his cell. And then he grabs two machine guns, locks the guards up and several trustees in his in his cell, and leaves the jail. Like just walks the fuck out. Seriously. Well, that's what you do when you break out of prison. I mean, but he just walks out and he owns the place. Like, well, I'll be back around 7. Don't wait up. Again, that's how a jail breaks. I, I guess. I, no, no, one, no, I one, no, one, no one breaks out of prison and is like, oh, I, I got it. I got it. I'll come back. I'll come back. I mean, I have, I, have no, I have no knowledge of how what it's like to break out of jail. I've never broken out of jail. You know, I see a lot of Cookie Crisp commercials. Oh, uh, yeah. Good point. So, mm. so you and Chip are on. Yeah. On, yeah. On some, I, I know how this works. I know how this works. All right. So it was at that point in time that Dillinger made a mistake that would cost him his life ultimately. Yeah, I know. It sounds ridiculous. He's, no, no. I mean, he finally made a mistake. Well, I mean, <laughs> he didn't make mistakes up until this point or very many mistakes. All those point. times he got caught were just. Fucking happenstance. Uh, they were definitely happenstance. Okay. So he stole the sheriff's car and drove across the Indiana-Illinois uh, line heading towards Chicago. By doing that, he violated what we had at the time as the National Motor Vehicle Theft Act. Right. Which made it a federal offense to transport a stolen motor vehicle across the state line. It makes it a felony. Right. Which made it to where the FBI got involved. That's right. Yeah. So the FBI... Uh, the FBI became actively involved in a nationwide search for Dillinger. And meanwhile, Pierpont, or excuse me, Pierpont, Mackley, and Clark were returned to Ohio and convicted of a murder of the murder of the Lima sh- sheriff. Ain't that a bitch? If they had just locked him in the room with the other people and they could have just held a towel to it, he'd be okay. They wouldn't yeah. get, uh, yeah, they, they got, they got some oh harsh imprisonments here. So. Yeah, I know. What's with these harsh sentences so for I mean, murderers? What? So, so Pierpont and, uh, Mackley were sentenced to death, and Clark was sentenced to life imprisonment. But in an escape attempt, Mackley was killed, and Pierpont was wounded. A month later, Pierpont recovered, only to be executed. Well, that's what happened. I mean, kind of crappy. But don't, but don't, but don't kill sheriffs. Huh? Yeah, there's a lesson to be learned. That's that's definitely the lesson. So, I kind of skipped over a couple of things here. Just to kind of let you know, Dillinger was robbing banks in, in Chicago as well. So he makes it back. He Chicago makes it back to starts Chicago. robbing again. Right. And he, okay. and he meets up with a girlfriend. Oh. And now for whatever girlfriend means for them back in that day, uh, her name is Evelyn uh, Frechetti. Okay. Frechetti? Frechetti? Evelyn Frechetti? Yeah, we'll go with Frechetti. Frechetti. We're not going to go with Frechetti. Frechetti? Okay, we'll go with Frechetti. Why not? Uh, they proceeded to St. Paul where Dillinger's team met up or teamed up with Homer Van Meter. Oh, who is a badass? Yeah. Lester, Babyface Nelson, Gillis. As we 
Disgust. Indeed. Um, not a healthy man. No. In a mental state. No. Eddie Green. Don't know that guy. And Tommy Carroll. Okay. The gang's business prospered as they continued robbing banks of large amounts of money. So, I mean, they're just, they're, they're walking into the banks using the same type of setup and lifting them from their money. They're separating them from their money. Then on March 30th in 1934, an FBI agent talked to the manager of the Lincoln Court Apartments in St. Paul, who reported that he saw two suspicious tenants, Mr. and Mrs. Hellman. And they acted very nervous and refused to admit the apartment caretaker. So the FBI began the surveillance of the Hellman's apartment. Wait a minute, that's all it takes? Like Apparently back in that day. This is so funny because I'm like, there's been times when I've walked by whole... Whole hotels that I'm pretty sure were just nothing but giant meth factories. Yeah. And, and there's a cop, like, parked at the end of the street. And I'm like, oh, God, they're going to raid that whole place. <laughs> no. And then the cop's like, turns on his lights. I'm like, oh, here it is. I'm going to watch it happen. And he's like, sir, sir, you're jaywalking. Yeah, it's like, what? what? It's like, can you not? I'm, I'm kind of high right now from the crystal meth acid coming out of the room. <laughs> Through the windows, they do it. But you just call. This is this is how I think that those signs for terrorists, where they're like, if you see something, say something. Like this is how I this is how I picture them working. Where you just pick up the phone, you dial the number, and they're like, "What's the address?" Then you give it to them. Who like, all right, and they just show up. They show, yep. they show up in a black van and just grab whoever it is and just <laughs> take them away. It's like the same thing. Like this guy's an apartment manager, and he's like, "What happened?" Knocked on the door. Guy wouldn't let me in. Very suspicious. Yeah. Do you smell anything? See anything? No. I just didn't like the way it looks on me. We'll get the FBI on. Right. Exactly. And what? so, I mean, I guess. So, the FBI began surveillance of the of the apartment. The next day, an agent and a police officer knocked on the door of the apartment. And Evelyn uh, Freschetti opened the door, but slammed it quickly shut, you know. And the agents called for reinforcements to surround the building. So, I mean, she kind of just gave them up. That's right. I mean, like, you open it. Like you open the, the, the worst part is they it was just men in suits that just rolled up yeah. like white suits and ties and she was like, God damn Joel's witnessing <laughs> just like slammed the door and that was it. That was yeah. what really happened. I, I, but that's why they got cut. Sad. Not true. But I mean definitely not true, but it's still sad. Might be true. All right. So the agent saw a man enter the hall near the Hellman's apartment, and when questioned, the man, who happened to be Homer Van Meter, drew a gun, shots were exchanged, during which Van Meter fled the building. And forced a truck driver at gunpoint to drive into the Green's apartment. Suddenly, the door of the Hellman's apartment opened, and the muzzle of machine gun began spraying the hallway with lead. I mean, I just wanted to say it like that because it just seemed like an old timey gangster movie. Like, I just imagine it's the scene from Home Alone too, where it wasn't really a machine gun that opened up. They just had like the old television on. They just turned the volume up. Yeah. He just lit a bunch of firecrackers and they slid out the window. Dude, you might be right on that one. You might be right. Because, I mean, this is the man with, with the wooden gun. Yeah, and the master what, plan, apparently. Which apparently should really have been like an Austin Powers sequel. No the, man with the, golden, the man with the golden gun. The man, man with, with the, the wooden gun. gun. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually pretty awful. Yeah. But Dillinger, under the cover of the, of the machine gun fire, Dillinger and Evelyn fled through the back door. And they also went to Green's apartment where Dillinger was treated for a bullet wound he received during the time frame that he was trying to escape. All right. Dillinger and, e- and Evelyn Franchetti decided to leave and head back to Mooresville, Indiana, where they stayed with his father and his half-brother until his wounds healed. So at this point in time in the story, I didn't even realize that his dad was still harboring him, you know, he's still helping him out. Because there's a point in time during his depression phase where he feels like the system is beating up on him when he's in, when he's in jail, that he writes his dad... 
And it's all sad and sappy saying, oh, dad, I'm, I guess I let you down. I guess I'm a failure, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, what the hell are you doing? But it also shows his mental state at the time, like how the prison system had beaten him down. Yeah, that prison system. But his dad had his son's back. He let him come home and rest up. I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do. I I might I might be a little mad at my kids if they came down with bullet holes and wanted by the FBI. Yeah. Would you Would you help your kids? I I don't have kids, so I don't know the actual feeling. But I'd I'd probably turn them. Golly. Would you help your brother? I'd probably turn him. Oh, what about your parents? I'd probably turn them. Golly. Would you help me? Here's the thing, bro. All right. At the point where you're wanted by the FBI, mm-hmm. I, I'm at risk more than I'm willing to hedge. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's I a thing. That. Like, if you just came in and said, I got shot and I didn't know anymore, and I could, you know, you're yeah. like, cool enough. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'll put a knife on the stove and we'll get you, we'll get you sealed up and we'll be going in no time. Yeah. Fine. And maybe that's but, what but if I turn on the TV and they're like, this one, and then I'm like, all right, you got to get the fuck out Yeah, on. you got to roll. So, and this is where the end of the story kind of catches up with us. And it's also really sad because, I mean, it's just really sad because Dillinger, it's, it's almost the end of his story, you know? Well, that's usually where the end comes in. Yeah. So, Dillinger and uh, Frechetti decide to kind of split up, split up for a minute. Maybe not, maybe not like split up, split up. She actually decided she wanted to go visit a friend in Chicago, and the FBI caught her, and she was arrested. She got like fifteen years and a fine of no, fifteen months. Sorry, she got fifteen months and a thousand dollar fine. John was like, I mean, I guess he did what anybody would do at this point in time: just be like, "Well, fuck it, you should just stay where you're at. I don't know why you want to go visit this friend." That's what I'm wondering. I'm just uh, like. Really? That's what we're doing now? Is Visiting friend, friends? Yeah. Friend visiting. Wanted by the FBI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's what she did. And that's where uh-huh. she ended up. Yep. So he replaced her, apparently. Oh. I mean, with, with several, you know, ladies. Ladies of the night. No, not Strangers. vampires. Sorry. Um, that was disturbing. Song. I mean, it is a song. Okay. Also, that was disturbing. At any rate, a madam by the name of Anna... Campanas ratted out John to the FBI. Now, let's talk about this for a second. Anna and John were friends. I mean, friends or customer? No, they were friends. And she ratted them out in exchange for an undisclosed reward if her information led to the cap or to his capture. You know, that's how the FBI does things. They say, we, if your information hey. leads to a, to an arrest, here you go. Hey, I'm not, I'm not against this. I mean, I, and that's fine. I mean, I guess, I guess it makes sense, but she, she was an immigrant. But there might, there was some of the research I saw, there was discussion about that she might have been an illegal immigrant at the time and was looking for a way to be allowed to stay in the, in the, in the system or rather in the States. And that might have been part of what they offered her in terms, in, in exchange for her. You get to stay, we'll give you 50 bucks in a juice box. Boom. Yeah. And a juice box. And a juice box. Nah, I feel like they didn't give her the juice box too. <laughs> they probably deported her too. It's fine. You're, you're right. You're probably right. So she told them that she and another lady had plans to see a movie with John the following evening and that they would be either at be at the Biograph or the Marlboro Theater. FBI agents were waiting for John 
at both locations, but FBI agents were waiting for John at both locations. The one that they had the most particular interest in was the Marlboro Theater. I, I wonder if they flipped the coin to decide which one. The- I, I have no idea. I just imagine they they were like, "Whoa, it's you know, it's thirties. We all smoke. Let's go to the Marlboro." Why not? So FBI agents were waiting for John after the movie, and in true John Jackrabbit fashion. He attempted to get away when he realized what was happening. So it's kind of like he had his instincts that kicked in. Uh, there was a signal given where, as they came out, you know, they didn't, they definitely didn't want to go into the, into the theater. What movie were they watching? Can I ask you that? Do you know? Um, yeah, it was a movie with, um, uh, Cary Grant, I think, I think it was a Cary Grant movie. I know you did. Yeah, I know I had that in my notes. So I okay, sorry. No, it's, it's all right. I just wanted to know. Yeah, I, I did know. I, I was like, I wonder, wonder if he came out laughing or crying or. Just, I mean, well, yeah. yeah. If he was like shit, movie. Well, I had the last movie I watched was a free man. Goddamn, Cary Grant screwed me. Well, I mean, he he was he was with two ladies, and one on each arm. So, so what you're saying is, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. All but, right, all right. So, but Anna, the whole hole in the bottom of the popcorn trick. All right. I feel like you're anyway. I feel like you might be speaking from experience. No, no. Oh. No. <laughs> so anyway, Anna, she has a, a discussion with the police or with the FBI agents beforehand again. And she's telling them she's going to wear orange. And they're like, okay, great. Well, she wears an orange dress. They can recognize her. And they didn't want to rush into the theater because uh, um, people in the theater, yeah, people. a gunfight, not going to be good. So they were, their orders were to wait until he comes out and get him then. And if they had to, if, it, if he resisted, then it was every man for himself, is what, what they said in the FBI agents. Wanted dead or alive. That's basically it. And again, you know, the signal that they gave each other was the one that was waiting outside, the FBI agent that was waiting outside, lit his cigar. No. And so that told the other agents, that told the other agents to kind of move in and get close. And John, this is, this is why I think John was smart. John realized what was going on, but by the time he did, it was too late. He drew his gun and ran down an alley, but he was hit by three shots from the FBI agents and fatally wounded. And the John Dillinger. I mean, it, it kind of sums up what I would think would happen to John Dillinger. Yeah, he's probably mad the whole time the system had told him to run into that. But he might have been. Oh, I made a wrong turn. Why did I? Why am I here? Why are they shooting at me? Oh, yeah, all those crimes I did, damn it. Oh, why did they make me do the crime? Well, why not try to arrest the man, I mean, you know, instead of trying to shoot him? Well, when he pulls the gun and runs, uh, and you got to bring him down because you don't know what other reign of terror he may have. I mean, I get that. Take the shot. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, you say good that. Point. Why didn't they do it? Good point. Well, here's the thing. You have a good point. All John had to do was not draw his gun and just hands up. Yeah. Hands up, don't shoot. There you go. Alright, so some interesting facts. Dillinger's middle name was Herbert. That's not interesting. That's very interesting. Like, who the hell names their child Herbert? What? No, not in this day and age. All the Herberts, yeah. Alright, Dillinger actually had a gang as a kid. The name of his gang was the Dirty Dozen. And no, I don't think Lee Marvin was a part of it. Okay, well, you answered both my questions. Oh, I try. Alright, he's one of the only gangsters to rob police stations. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Uh, there's very few people, too, that I've heard that have jumped out of a plane without a parachute and survived. Some ideas are just that's left undone. Right. That's all I'm saying. D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Well, he did it with a parachute. Yeah, well, allegedly. Um, okay. <laughs> well, because we don't know if he... He still jumped oh, out of the man. plane. I'm not debating. All right. Fair point. 
Uh, Dillinger underwent facial reconstructive surgery to hide his identity. Okay, uh, that just seems a little bit much to me, you know. I don't, I, just, I don't know what. Uh, I know they made a lot of advancements yeah. in plastic surgery around this time because of World War One, right? So it would be fairly possible for him to have like a pretty new face, I think. Well, and he went to a, and I can't remember the name of the actual place, but it was a, it was owned by a mob. Faces are us. It probably was Faces are us. Okay. The federal government spent more money trying to catch Dillinger than he actually stole. He stole about $500,000 in the total bank crime and whatnot, which is equivalent to about $7 million. The FBI spent $2 million trying to catch him. No, the $2 million aren't obviously not. It's $2 million. Two, $2 million. So, so, okay, right. so I'm just getting it straight. They spent like $28 million trying to catch this man. That is correct. Wow. John Dillinger wrote a thank you letter to Henry Ford saying thank you for the getaway car he, that he used. He used the uh, V8 as his, as his getaway car. Was that Dillinger? I see. I've heard that story about Clyde Barker. Well, so here's the thing. They, it's widely, Arrow, sorry. It's why it was Dillinger, but it's widely been said that it's, it was a hoax that, yeah, that he never no. wrote the letter. And so what we found, what was found is that some historians actually went through Henry Ford's uh, letters and his, his documents. The letter really was true. But Ford co- wrote a cover-up letter and was parading it as a forgery or parading it around as the actual letter for years. But it was a forgery. Well, that makes sense. You have a John Dillinger letter. You know it's worth money. Henry Ford, Henry Ford Jr. to whatever. They're not, they're, they're not, you know, they're cheap men. They, they're going to turn a dime where they can. They're like, we're going to keep this letter. Yeah. So if someone steals it, they steal the fake letter. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Well, well I mean, because if somebody pops up and is like, I have the letter. Yeah. And then you're like, but what about this one? This one here is the real one. Yeah. And then it's like, no, it's not. It's like, it's written to me. I'm pretty sure this is it. Right. It's my letter. This is it. It's interesting. So that's that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. So all in all, John Dillinger, good gangster. Sort of good gangster, I'm going to go with. I mean, he's definitely He spent a lot of time getting convicted of things for a really good gangster. That's fair. I'm just saying... Most of his antics revolve around spree crime mm-hmm. and escaping from getting caught for shitty crimes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm just, I'm sorry. I hear John Dillinger and I think of him as one of the, you know, he's public enemy number enemy one. Number one. He's right. the first public enemy number one, right? Right. He's the first guy to ever be public enemy number one. I knew that because we had public enemy, uh, who was it? Not Floyd, uh, Babyface became him yeah. after this because they were all involved in the, the you know, that shootout. Mm-hmm. And we talked about, and, you know, I mean, it's a weird thing. Uh, most of them get famous because of what happens in, like, Little Bohemia yeah. or the Kansas City Massacre and this. Dillinger really gets his rep because of breaking out of prison. I mean, right. his big deal is he breaks out of jails, like, constantly. Mm-hmm. He breaks other people out of jails. And he does a fair amount of, like, just Probably. general mayhem. Yeah. And so I think that's what concerns people more than anything, is that the police... The police are going to be more incentivized to capture this guy because it looks like they can't. Right. And that's what the FBI, I know, having read about Hoover, that I would imagine his mindset is we have to get this bastard one way or another because he makes us look inept. And if there's one thing that Hoover wasn't going to have. Mm-hmm. It was going to be him looking inept. You're right. Yeah. Jay Edgar was like, no, 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 no. No one's going to, we are, you know, top of the line men. Yeah. We catch who we're going after. And I don't give a damn if the son of a bitch is in a body bag. John Dillinger goes down. Right. 
So and they got him. So they did. They did. They did what they set out to do. Uh, you know, less interesting story. Not saying it was than I was expecting. Yeah. Very interesting story. It's just when you hear John Dillinger, it's one of like the big name. Yeah, he's kind of like the movie star. A gangster, I guess. But he wasn't one of the... But at the same time, he wasn't like a flamboyant one that was like, I want to be interviewed and I want to be in the paper. No. And I want to make quotes and I want to, you know, wear flashy clothes and, you know, parade around with my stuff. He was more of a gangster's gangster. I mean, but he did take... So he, he did find news clippings and whatnot of their of their exploits and he would take those. No, 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 I'm not saying that, but I think he's a gangster's gangster. Like... He did things that he was going to do anyway, and yeah. he didn't make them more flashy or flamboyant. That's what you're and he didn't go out in the public limelight mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, we've we've talked about something like Nucky would be a good example who's mm-hmm. flamboyant. Floyd's Machine Gun Kelly, where they're promoting themselves, where they're trying. Yeah. He's just like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go rob some banks, guys. Come on, right? I'm going to go steal some cars. Come on, like, with me or you're not. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, I'll bust you out of jail. I don't care. Come on, fuck this. Yeah, he's very much just. A gangster's gangster. Like he's doing crime, he, he'll bust you out of jail. He, he's shooting cops. You mm-hmm. know, he's running from the police. He's doing crimes that you know would be like the indie crimes of the day. Yeah, like, kind of like he's the Philip Seymour Hoffman of. Yeah, he's a big name, and yeah, he you know he's got some titles to it and stuff. But at the end of the day, he's just good old Jack. Back. He just he just wants to rob, steal, and run away. Yeah. So the Jack Rabbit nickname was because he was fast. Maybe at one point, uh, right. gets awfully right. caught and shot for a man that's, that's fast. Jackrabbit fast. I mean, I, yeah, it's a valid point. It's more like he gave himself the nickname. I'm not saying he did, but it's right. just like one of those days. They call me Jackrabbit because I'm quick. It's like, really? Yeah, watch this. Where'd he go? Oh, he got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. fast. Because I just saw him nail that guy in the back of the head right. with a sock filled with a nut in it. Big old bolt. He just, I saw him drop it in there and hit the guy. And then he ran down the street. Yeah. Got caught in 15 seconds flat. Wow. Wow. That's pretty fast. It's like 100 yards. He was carrying a whole bag. Yeah. Whole bag of receipts. Damn. God, that's terrible, man. I'm just, well, I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, I get it. You, you, it's a valid point. Valid point. Also very sad. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we reached the end of the episode, but I wanted to make sure that we give a shout out to our Patreons. Patreon is super important, and it's super fun. We, it's, we appreciate it's, it. It is. Um, it's how we keep the show going. It is. In a lot of ways, because uh, people don't realize it, but we have we have overhead. We do. For the most part, the show is low maintenance, but when we have to record with guests, that costs us money because we want to have a quality program, so we use things like Zencaster, which is a, a subscription service that we have, that we pay for that. We have our own web hosting. Then we do both for the website and for um, the content itself. Right. And then additionally, there's just things that we either upgrade, like microphones or whatnot. Or recently, where the battery and the charger on the laptop we use went out mm. and had to be replaced. So there's there are costs. Um, but it, it's really great that there are people out there. There's a lot of fellow podcasters and fans out there that uh, interact with us, that reach out with us, and tell Absolutely. us how to enjoy. And if you have a dollar or two, you know, it really does help to support the show. And it sure. keeps us going and keeps us motivated because we know people care enough. Even just a quick message, though. Or if you if you really want to help us and you're just not sure if you want to commit monetarily, give us a rating. On whatever Absolutely. you're listening to, because that that that's what we feed off of. That's how we know Indeed. that we're doing well. Right now, I think we still have five stars on everything that I've looked at. 
And it's it's been rough going for uh, us personally lately We to keep everything on schedule, so we're working through it. But uh, we, we're supposed to have a patron chat. I think we missed it. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, but I would like to say the reason that it was missed was I, I had a funeral and then uh, some car problems. And then we had the whole battery problems. And Shalom's got a personal life, too. And just keeping up with all of that, it all hit within about 10 days. Yeah. So it's just been a, a, a roller coaster ride just trying to get things sorted out. But we will we will have those going forward, and we'll try to make this one up. And uh, I think we should give a big shout-out to Ray Walden Jr. Absolutely. Thanks, Ray. Ray is one of the people that just really helps us with the show by giving us feedback. He's helped on uh, researching. He did the Hockey Puck episode with us. Mm-hmm. He's a Patreon, of course. But he's just a really cool guy that, that helps out. And we always like to give him a shout-out. One, uh, that's what you get when you, when you give at the level that Ray gives. Yeah. And there's different levels. You can go, look, there's everything from a dollar to whatever. I don't even know how much. Uh, it's just really nice, and it's really great that all you guys do that. So big shout-out to Ray. Big shout-out to the rest of you guys and um, all of our friends out there in podcast land that are doing big things. Um, I would just like to say there's Strange Animals has really, really, really got onto some good hooks lately. Definitely give those guys uh, a check. Um Secret Transmissions has been doing really well. And I know we shout those guys out. We run promos for them every once in a while. But I just want to say that recently they've been really on point. And uh, if you really enjoy our show and the humor in our show, there's another show you should check out. Now, it's a little more macabre. It's a little more uh, offbeat, oddity, bloody kind of Charlie Manson, UFOs, Nazis, Flat Earth. But last podcast on the left. Huh. It's a really super show. Um, I didn't listen to it because I heard like one episode that was bad. I am now like 150 episodes deep, and I'm pretty sure there's only one bad. So that's it. That's it for me. What about you? Uh, You know, as far as from podcast land, I think there are certain – check out the lofty Darwinism. Like those guys, they have some some neat content. Uh, You know, we – our focus was to focus on history. Not right. so much new current events. They focus on current events and whatnot. So if you're into that, this is definitely an avenue for you. Check those guys out. Give them a listen. Uh, the Geek and Amazons as well. Geek and Amazons is a good show. Yeah, in fact, uh, they're going to be visiting us in the not-so-distant future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Gravity Beard podcast. Gravity Beard, again. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't see our episode, or I guess listen to our episode... With Toph from Gravity Beard about D.B. Cooper, you should really check it out. It's one of the better episodes. Yeah. And it's really turned into something. He has a follow-up episode, actually, with the guy that contacted us about a lead on it. And that lead has been kicked to the FBI. And as far as I know right now, is being worked. Right. So it is possible that this man has cracked the D.B. Cooper case. And it all stems from his research and... Specifically, that it was brought to light because of our show. Because of our show, uh, which is really weird. We're not saying that in like a promoting way. It's a weird thing to us. Yeah, it is. Uh, because we actually just interacted with him and told him to go talk to Toph because yeah. he does interviews better than us. And then he did it, and now it's a thing. Yeah, um, big deal. But good deal. Yeah, definitely deal. check those out because I, I would say they're all good shows. And we'll have more people coming over, and we're going to be on some other shows. In fact, some stuff we recorded is coming out with. Gravity Beer 2, I think, even, maybe. Or it might be out already. I have not mm. I have not checked today, so yeah. I don't know. But in the meantime, uh, you know, just be cool. 
Absolutely. See ya. Bye.